With me today on the podcast is Ren Navarro, and she is one of those great people on the planet that sees an opportunity to create something because it's missing and just goes and creates it. And she's one of the five founders of the Society of Beer Drinking Ladies. She's also a beer sommelier and really passionate about the craft beer scene. In addition, she's funny and charming and has this velvety smooth voice that quite honestly, you don't even have to be paying attention. If you just need to meditate, you can listen to this lady all day long. She's fantastic. So here we go. Episode 21. Oh, hey, girls drink beer. All right, with me today is Ren Navarro. Ren is one of the five founding ladies from the Society of Beer Drinking Ladies and professionally is also a hacker of beer, a seller of beer, an aficionado of beer, and probably an advocate for beer would be the best description for her. So welcome, Ren. Thank you. Now, you... Of course, I am drinking a beer, just seeing it. What are you drinking? I am drinking Collective Arts Ransack the Universe. And is this a pale ale, an IPA? What is, what are we drinking? This is an IPA, and it is hella tasty. I think it's about 6.8%. Nice and light <laughs> for a Monday afternoon. <laughs> now, you fell in love with beer a long time ago, but you've only spent probably the last two or three years really making your passion your lifestyle. So how did you become a beer lady? And I was I was always into beer. So in university, you know, you've always got to drink really bad beer. Um, so I did that. My favorite bad beer was Red Dog, which is a beer that supposedly still exists in the States. I always argue that I really loved it because their mascot was a talking red bulldog. After that, it was kind of, you know, starting to learn more things, getting into Alexander Keats, which years later I learned wasn't really an IPA. I don't really know what it is, but it's not an IPA. Yeah, I guess with with time, you know, you start talking to people who say, here, try this. And I started going to different beer events. So Great Lakes used to do a Project X event um, that they've since discontinued several years ago, um, where they would roll out a bunch of different one-offs. And so you got to, you know, talk to a bunch of different people of different beer levels. First, which is a, a beer restaurant, beer hall in Toronto, did a Beer 101 series that was probably uh, six months worth, I'm going to say. And that was also really fantastic because it was a one one shift, kind of a three-hour uh, chat with a brewer who brought in a bunch of different beers for you to try out. And it would be it'd be a personalized tasting. So they would say, here's my beer, try this out. Here are the notes that you get. And they would literally walk 20 people through each kind of beer so it was this great crash course that cost you 20 bucks to hang out in a bar uh, and learn about beer from different breweries and different styles. And, and you could really kind of learn and figure out which ones you really enjoyed. So that was my precursor to getting into the beer industry. Now, what is your favorite beer? I don't have a favorite beer because, God, man, I went, I went through my untapped yesterday and I had probably about 1,300 different check-ins. So I, I don't think I could say I have a favorite beer, but I do have a favorite style. I really do. I dig dark beers. 
So porters and stouts, that's my jam. That's more people of a winter will, beer, most people would say, though. And that's what everyone says. You know, you can drink a good porter or stout year-round. You're sitting around in the evening and you're relaxing. It doesn't matter what it's doing outside. And it's just that nice, warm, kind of hugging your innards moment. And it's fantastic. It's dark chocolate and coffee. How do you go wrong? Oh, I not at all at night. I sort of, there's a piece of me, though, that loves crisp beer on a patio. And uh-huh. I just can't imagine ordering a, a stout that's got all of this body and all of this richness when it's 32 degrees outside. Yeah, I probably wouldn't start with it. But I'm also not the kind of person who sits and lingers over a beer. It's a really, it's a horrible trait. Both my parents drink really fast. I don't know why I also picked this up. And unfortunately, it's translated into beer. So if I order a stout in the middle of the summer, I'm probably finishing before anyone else. So my stout is still cold by the time I get to the end of it. So it doesn't matter what season it is. I'm going to drink it. There is always the, I'm going to call it the advocacy for cold beer versus the British room temperature lager conversation. Now, you believe that beer should be drank cold? Uh, depending on what it is and what the intent is. Because there are some kinds of beer where, well, sessions, sessionable beer is a big thing now where, you know, you start off drinking when it's ice cold and the intent is that you still get as much flavor from your first sip as you do from like your 30th sip 20 minutes later. So I think that breweries, especially in Canada, are starting getting into that idea of you don't have to drink it ice cold. You also don't need to drink it warm, but if there is a moment where that happens, you're still going to get all that flavor out of it. So you're not missing out if you're not slamming your beer back. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, and like I said, it's a bad habit that I have that I do usually slam my beer back. I have to actually think about it. But yeah, I always, but I tell people like when I do sales that this is the flavor that you'll get initially when it's really cold, let it warm up for a bit and now you'll get these other notes out of it. And I think that's the great part about lingering over your beer and really experiencing it because drinking beer can be an experience. It can also be I'm just drinking some beer, but. Well, I mean, we all have multiple sides of our personalities. There's the drinking beer day and then there's the I'm going to learn things and experience flavors and citrus and coffee and all sorts of these magical notes that linger in beer. Yep. We, we got different needs each day. Exactly. Now, you are one of the founders of the Society for Beer Drinking Ladies, and this is how I came to find out about you and stalk you on the internet. And they are on Instagram and Twitter and all over the web creating specialty, invite-only, ticketed events for special beer releases and you guys call them bevies right yeah that's right now these started as an industry event and have turned into quite a bit bigger than that why don't you tell me a little bit about that yeah the uh the the first bevy was supposed to be specifically for women in the industry to kind of have a a a safe place to hang out have a beer and kind of you know kvetch about about our work and you know those moments where you're like i don't want to go in with a smile on my face and so it was going to be hosted at, at Jamie's house, and Jamie is one of one of the founding members. And we thought, ah, maybe we'll get 20, 30 women. We'll get just enough. You know, we'll charge just enough to cover, like, some Doritos and some extra beer. We were selling tickets on Eventbrite. And I don't know how it happened, but we forgot to close off the Eventbrite ticket sales. And I guess those ladies told their friends who told their friends who told their friends. And in a couple of days, we sold about 105 tickets, which, of course, is too many women to host in Jamie's house. 
And so we had to find a place pretty quick, found a place to host all of them, started talking about it to the breweries that we worked at, because all five of us worked for breweries. And a couple other pe- people heard about it and said, I want in on it. So the first the first bevy offered a bunch of different beer that people hadn't really heard about. And we've kept that model. So we also have kind of that, we keep the location secret until two days before. And personally, I feel like it's a nod to that first bevy where we were like, oh, crap, we need to find a place. So guess what? It's a surprise. We'll tell you soon. Um, <laughs> I mean, now it's a lot more organized and we know months ahead where it's going to be, but it's still that that same feel of this is going to be a surprise and we'll tell you where it is in a couple days. Now the surprise and the excitement of the beers that you're releasing and what's happening has gotten much bigger over the last couple of years. You guys are doing special runs with different brewers. You're doing all sorts of custom brews. How is this evolving? It's, uh, it, it, well, I mean, it went from, you know, let's just have a bunch of industry girls to the last bevy was one of the, the smaller ones at 175 women. The previous month was 275 women. And it's women of all walks of life. I know it's completely cliched to say, but it is. It's the women who know their beer and are beer sommeliers and are taking courses to the women who are saying, I only like light beers and Bud and Coors are my favorite, but my friend dragged me along and I'm willing to try something different. In the way we do it, it's it's all curated. So Erica, again, one of the five of us, will curate the beer list. Some of the stuff you may have heard of, some of it, it's, you know, we're, we're almost the guinea pigs for it, and it comes out a couple months later. Um, and then we do a bevy brew, which is a one-off that's specially brewed for us. But those women who say, like, I don't really know beer, and I just want to come and try it, have a safe space where they can go try something and say, ooh, this one's not for me, but, oh, this one's really fantastic. And I wouldn't have had the opportunity to try this anywhere else because you can't go into a bar and try 12 different beers and be like, no, 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 I don't really want to pay that much for it. So it's, you know, I mean, it's one of those those places where we've we've established that it's a safe area for women to get together. Now, the idea of the experienced sommelier versus somebody who's just learning all being mixed in the same space is really interesting because you then have an opportunity to potentially rub up against an expert and understand more about the beer. But how do the experts feel? Is this about a, a sharing your passion and sharing your love with the newbies or... You know, how has that mixture come to be? I think what we've established with the bevies is that really it's not about coming and doing a tasting. We don't do, uh, there's no, there's no lead tasting. So what we'll do is we'll have sign-ups, you know, or sorry, signs up saying this beer has the following tasting notes. It has this thing in it. If you want to have a, a seat in the corner and a group of you sit and talk about the tasting notes and what do you get out of it and what do you smell and blah, 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 that's cool. But most people just show up to be like, I want to meet people. I want to try a different beer. I want to, I want to dance because uh, Jen is our resident DJ. And it, it inevitably ends up as a giant dance party. So really, it's you know from 8 till midnight, it's women just hanging out, having a place where they can drink beer, learn about beer if that's how the conversation goes, or they're just meeting new people. Uh, and then after midnight, guys are welcome. Very few guys show up after midnight. It's usually boyfriends, husbands, and like a few friends. I think it's probably a little bit intimidating to walk into a room full of women who are possibly more knowledgeable about the beer they've been drinking than you are as a guy, I would say. Now, you guys also have focused on this as a volunteer effort with a social good side. 
Why is that important? I think when you end up with that many people in one space, Oh, use your powers for good. <laughs> it's we uh, we partnered with the Canadian Women's Foundation, and they have given us thumbs up from day one. And so, a portion of our ticket sales, and we've got buckets around for donations that goes directly to the Canadian Women's Foundation. Last year, we raised almost seven thousand dollars to them. The year before, which was our first year, we raised about thirty five hundred dollars. Magenta, who is is our kind of spokeswoman, our, our voice piece during during the bevies, she stands up and, and does a speech, kind of explaining what's going on, and always says that you can say that you are being socially conscious by drinking because you are helping a charity, and it's it's worked out perfectly. So this is kind of looking at the balance of doing something you would do anyways and still doing a little bit of good and leaving a little yeah, bit of good exactly. behind. And, and you can learn about them. They've they've come to a couple of our bevies. We usually have little handouts about them. It just it's it's a fantastic group. And how could you say no to that? Now, this is definitely not a traditional industry or place for women to play. So why is it important that you guys got together to do this for women? And it is not allowed to have men until midnight so right i think that's you know kind of like you said it's not traditionally a an industry that welcomes women with open arms i think it's starting to change now that we've been around for a couple of years it's almost this weird like oh hey girls drink beer weird kind of moment i mean we you know we almost selfishly started it as a way for us to get together and, and talk to other beer women and you know, we're we're doing so our next our next bevy is, is going to be a beer festival. And it's Canada's first all female beer festival. We sold out six hundred tickets in thirty six hours. Like how is it that the beer industry says that women don't drink beer? Good point. But you potentially are changing entire stereotypes once a month for four hours. Yeah, we really are. It's you know, we we've said that anyone who identifies as a woman, because you don't want to start getting all weird about it like it's not girly girls it's not butchy girls it's you identify as a woman you like beer come on down and when when I started like I've been in beer for probably three and a half years two years in sales when I started in sales there were like four of us there were four women that I could easily identify and say oh yeah this person's with this this guy and you know this this brewery and this brewery and now I mean there's so many women in beer so Obviously, we're around. We love beer. Like this is it's a no-brainer. I love how easy you make it seem to. I know I make completely I make crash like, stereotypes. Just just go and do it. It's like whatever. It's super easy. I mean, it's it's not. We have detractors. We have people who are are. <laughs> there are always people who aren't going to love you or love what you do. Uh, there are other fantastic groups of women doing kind of a similar thing. Like there's Barley's Angels, and they've got a bunch of chapters. I think worldwide, uh, if not Canada-wide at least. And then, you know, there's there's other groups. There's um, Schoolhouse Booze and it's the Tipsy Teachers. And, you know, so there's a bunch of different groups around who are doing this. It just happens to be that we're not doing it necessarily in an educational or at least an outwardly educational way. We're not saying come and learn. We're saying come and hang out and have fun. But there's a bunch of other groups of women who are doing these great things and it's weird that people give them such a hard time. I mean, again, you know, like it, historically the first brewers were women and now it's all dudes. And it's just this weird, like, but didn't we all start this beer thing? It's funny, the, the trend that seems to come from people who aren't willing to accept the norm is that if I just do this, 
I will be successful. You know, it's mm-hmm. the, if you build it, they will come. And you yep. guys have proved with sellouts at every event, if you build it, they will come. Yep. But the focus on inclusion, I think, is really important in terms of you don't have to know. You don't have to learn. You can taste or not taste, drink or not drink, participate or not participate. You've sort of, I'm going to say, given everybody a blank check in yeah. terms of, of the experience that they want to craft at each event. Yeah, exactly. And it's because we're not saying this is what you have to do and this is what you have to experience. And we've also created kind of an event where you can come by yourself and you decide if you want to go and talk to that group of women over in the corner or if you just want to hang out for a while, have a few drinks and then leave. It's, you know, some people treat it as going to the bar without having to worry about someone doing something bad to your drink or having a bunch of guys come and talk to you and all you want to do is have a drink in a bar. Um, And then there are other women who are there with with friends that they've made at bevy number two and you know 23 bevies later there they are all hanging out together so yeah we don't we don't make any rules about it i love the idea of there not having to be a criteria for an event i find that often networking events industry or not industry are always sort of they feel a little dirty they feel like you must walk up to the person and have that conversation and you know what do you do what neighborhood do you live in those awkward social norms oh it's chilly out today yeah <laughs> what about that sports team and giving everybody an opportunity instead to just say hey this is good maybe i won't try this one again what do you think yeah exactly and and you're also able to be honest about it i mean at at some of these events we're pouring beer from from the brewers that we represent and i have had people go I don't know about this one. It's it's okay. And then kind of this this look of horror when they realize that it's the beer that I'm repping. And it's like, yeah, but you didn't like it. And that's fine. What about this beer instead? Because it's, it's not an event where I say, this is brought to you by such and such brewery. Um, you have to enjoy it because it's my brewery or it's because, you know, one of the other girls is repping it. It just happens that we all work in the industry, but we all love beer. You know, the Bose Taft Takeover was the first one, and we were really careful about it. None of us worked for Bose. And we did it, again, as a one-off thing to do something different with our bevies. And you guys are using this as a, an opportunity to explore. No two bevies have been quite the same. Right. And you're learning every day. But there's five oh, sure. of you. Yeah. Which has all of the opportunity for chaos. Yeah, it does. And surprisingly, touch wood, it hasn't broken down into chaos I think we were we were pretty smart about it. Everybody's got a role, and the roles don't necessarily overlap, but they all complement. So Magenta does our banking, and she does all the lawyer stuff. And then during the actual event, she's the mouthpiece. So she does her speech. She explains what we're about. She explains who we are and talks about the charity. The charity. She also had dealt with the charity, so she's our, kind of the go-to liaison with them. Erica does a ton of stuff, but she also does the curating of the beer list, and that's her thing. Jen does the music, does some of the venue sourcing. Uh, Jamie does the website stuff. She does all the the visuals in terms of posters that are up and uh, and info that's posted about the beer. I do the photography the night of, and I do the merch. So again, you know, if one person walked away, the group suffers, but we're able to kind of take our piece and say, okay, these all, you know, all five, like, form of a bevy, um, you know, but it's just, it all, it all works out. 
So your roles are effectively the different tasting notes. Yeah, yeah, they are. And these people were your friends to start with. And two and a half years later, you guys have created something and you're still friends. Yeah, yeah, we are. <laughs> we um, we actually were all united. We all worked at Great Lakes Brewery at some point, which is so bizarre because we didn't all work there at the same time. Uh, Magenta and I did work there kind of overlapping. Erica worked there just before I did. Jen worked there after I left and after I think Magenta left after Jen started and then Jamie is the only one who is still there and she started after everyone else had left. So it's kind of this bizarre one one brewery united all of us. My nerd self is just lending back to the one ring to rule them all. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking Voltron. Um. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Everybody has their nerd thing. <laughs> I tend to lean back to pop cu- pop culture and movies, so everybody's yeah. got a everybody's got a nerd that that gets them excited. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so now you do a lot of things other than just this. Yes. Even though beer is your full time job and your primary passion, why don't you tell us about the other stuff you're doing? So obviously, Society of Beer Drinking Ladies. I also do a lot of photography on the side. When time allows, I will hopefully get back to helping new Canadians learn how to read in English. Yeah, I just, I, I feel like I, I never sleep. But those are kind of the, the main things that I'm up to right now. So the photography thing, uh, I'm actually working on another project with a, a group of filmmakers and some comic book guys on profiling the city of Toronto. So that's that's starting to take off. And then I do photography for the bevies, and then I do a little bit of art photography on the side. Yeah, I don't sleep. Well, I think this is the the trend that keeps coming up with the people I'm talking to that are very successful. They are not unilaterally focused. Everybody's got to have things. Be. Like, life is too short to be like, I just did one thing and high five. I just... I don't know. I mean, when I was when I was younger, I was supposed to, I was supposed to go into teaching. I I think a part of the reason I didn't do it is because I would have only been teaching, and even if I'd been able to to teach different things, I would still be just teaching. And no knock on teachers because I come from a family of teachers, but I just when I think about it, I get the shakes because I realize like that would have been the one thing I was doing twenty four seven, and I just I got to do a bunch of things. <laughs> But you do have a piece of teaching in what you're sharing in terms of beer. You're teaching people about the flavors they're looking for, about the different things. So you are teaching. You're just not teaching in a traditional landscape where you have, you know, you stand at the front of a room and have a whiteboard and tell people what to do all day. Yeah, definitely. It's, but I just, I think, how, you know, kind of being like, and then I'm always in this one spot because I like to move around a lot. I mean, it's it's probably a good thing you can't see my arms because I feel like they're flailing. I feel like a Muppet, just like, ah, it's always moving. It's always doing something. I, and yeah, it's, you know, so yeah, there is that teaching component. And I have been doing, uh, I do a lot of tastings with staff and, and whatnot at accounts. But just knowing that I can still go and, and take my camera, you know, take my camera with me during the day and, uh, and you know, film and digital. And I still get to play with that throughout my day and some of it's beer photography some of it's graffiti some of it's pictures of my cats like it's it's always something that changes well i don't think the internet could ever get sick of those three subject matters i know that my instagram has you know at least one in nine pictures are of some type of a beverage and probably at least one in nine are my cat so 
living in a city like Auckland, I don't get as much graffiti. I do miss my Queen West lifestyle because <laughs> their graffiti in Toronto is some of the best in the world. Definitely. You actually were raised in Toronto, which is really re- weird for a Torontonian. Almost nobody is truly a local. Yeah. Why not go somewhere new? I think about it from from time to time. I feel like the way that Toronto is changing, and, and especially with the kind of the, the beer landscape, three years ago, there's no way that there would be so many, you wouldn't think that there would be so many breweries now. Three years ago, you could name five big guys. And, you know, they were the big guys of craft brewery. And now, I mean, I feel like in the last three three months, there have been eight new breweries that have opened. So I kind of want to stick around for a bit and see what's going on. I've got a lot of family from Montreal, so I, I kind of pop out there every so often because Quebec beer is amazing. Um, however, my French is not amazing. So it's it's one of those places where I can only visit and just kind of stumble through in French. Vancouver has has always interested me. Because, you know, again, back to beer, uh, I used to also be a competitive rower, and the thought of being able to row year-round in a spot kind of intrigues me. So who knows? Maybe I'll end up out there rowing 12 months out of the year. But no matter what, it'll be a city or a region focused on beer. Yeah, I think so. I, I don't think I could move into a place that didn't really have it. Because, again, I'm just so interested in what, what people are creating, Beer has really become a huge part part of my life. Um, I got married in a beer hall, so <laughs> it's, I yeah, I just feel like I couldn't step away from it. And I, I drink other things, but beer is still like first and foremost in my life. As you've sort of grown and changed, and I'm going to say matured. Take that back. <laughs> as you've matured in your palate. All right. Okay. You've also become a brewer yourself. Yeah, I'm a pretty lazy brewer, but yes, um, I do a bit of home brewing, and uh, and actually yesterday a, a group of us and and when I say brewing, I, I say really I was sitting around yesterday eating croissants, watching, um, but I was at Junction Brewery yesterday, helping brew a society of beer drinking ladies brew for our, our next bevy. But yeah, I definitely want to get more into it. Now, is this the the science of it? Is it the magic of what you create at the end? What is it that's exciting about the brewing process? My inner artist likes the creation of it. And I like that you take a bunch of things that almost seem like they shouldn't work together and that you end up with something really awesome at the end. And even if it's kind of a failure, sometimes there's a way to bring it back. And I really, I love that a bunch of random things, which I know beer nerds are like, they're not random, but they end up being something so beautiful and so different at the end. And it's definitely, it's a chemistry exercise. I know my partner is a brewer and there is a lot of science and measurement and and precision that goes into making this happen. Yeah. And sometimes that still turns into a failure. Oh yeah, totally. It's, you know, all it takes is that you you blanked out for a couple of minutes and your boil went too long and now it tastes kind of burnt. It's kind of weird. And can I save it? So what will be next for you? It's a good question. I'm, it's my birthday next week, so I'm trying to like think of the big, like, what do I need to do before my birthday? Usually I try to do something really nice for a stranger before my birthday, which means that I have eight days, I think, nine days to do something. Uh, I think really I want to I do a bit, of, a bit more learning with beer. Uh, I've got my level one Prudhomme, which is the Canadian Beer Sommelier course. So I'd like to get into level two this year and, and at least get that. 
and then otherwise, I mean, just, yeah, I keep doing what I'm doing. I'm loving, I'm loving all of it. So I don't think I want to change too much of it. Just find more time to do more of the things you love. God, you know what? I'm, actually, you know what I want to do? I want to find a clone of myself and uh, and be able to do all of it. I have been questing for years to do all of the things. And then I keep discovering new things, in which case now I'm all disrupted and trying to figure out how do I get the new thing in with all of the things that I already do. Yeah, like I want to go back to rowing, but there's no way I can get up 4.30 in the morning if I'm going to bed at 2. Complicated. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> with all of the things that you do, all the you have a mishmash of interests that don't necessarily correlate. You've found ways to sort of intersperse them with each other. Is this important to keeping you interested in them at all the time? I think so. I think once, you know, it's kind of that line of once everything gets streamlined too much, it gets boring because now it's just the same thing and you're just following behind it. The great thing about sales is that I can go in and give the same pitch, but the response isn't always the same. The great thing about the bevies is, you know, the five of us have been doing it for two years, but the response isn't always the same. I, you know, when I was rowing, you weren't always going to win, but you could always have the same technique. So it's it's kind of that piece that I really like. So the fact that, yes, I've spread out amongst all these things that even if I feel I have perfected it, there's always an outside factor that can affect it. And, you know, right down to my photography, like, hey, I just took the best photo I've ever taken in my life. And someone looks at it and goes, eh, my 16-year-old could do that. In fact, he's already done it. So, you know, there's each piece of it is a challenge because you can't ever perfect it. And that's why I want to stay in the things that I'm in because, yeah, there's, I've got so much to learn. Now, what's keeping you curious about all of these things? Beer is forever changing. And, you know, they always say, like, Ontario is so far behind Quebec, so far behind the States. Like, the American craft beer world is is at least five years ahead of us. So... There's no way I could ever leave beer because by the time all that trickles down to us, it's new and exciting and shiny for us. I think, you know, the the bevies, we try to find ways to, to make them more intriguing. Maybe in five years, we completely change how we do it. Who knows, right? So it's, you want to stick it out and see what's going to happen. How are people going to respond to this? Again, what are those, out, those outlying influences going to do to you? One of the things you mentioned in terms of the tastings is that somebody may discover something that isn't right for them. How are you incorporating that feedback in terms of, oh, you know what, I liked, you know, Bevy 21 better than 24 or any of those things. I liked this beer better than that beer. How are you incorporating that type of feedback in your life? Uh, we're also doing a lot of shout outs for, for feedback. I think the problem, the problem, air quotes, is that in this day and age, it's really easy for someone to sit down at a laptop and just kind of throw out a dismissive statement, really asking for feedback and saying, what bevy did you go to? Yeah, bevy 21 was really awesome because it was 100 people, and we did it on a long weekend, so we did it in a smaller venue. So maybe at that time of year, it'll always be a smaller venue because it's a long weekend and everyone goes away, so we scale down. Um, maybe, you know, bevy 25 is going to have like 600 people. Maybe that's not the bevy for you, but this, you know, we try to kind of keep people informed as as much as we can i mean bevy 25 because of the the size of it and what we're doing with it we're not doing the secret location reveal because it's it's a beer festival but the other ones you know we do try to say it's going to be this end of the city they're all you know so you you really 
need to make sure that those people that you're dealing with give you feedback and that you're able to act on it or at least respond to it properly. There's nothing in my life with anything that I do, nothing more infuriating than someone just simply saying it sucked. You need to say, why? What, what was it? You know, was did it rain? Was it a horrible night because of the weather or was it because something that you experienced? If it's something we can fix, we're going to fix it or at least try very hard to fix it. And I just, yeah, that's, hate is going to hate and you can't make everyone happy. You absolutely can't make everyone happy. I don't think there's, there's even a goal we can have, especially in the age of the internet where people can get their bitch on behind a screen without having any ramifications. But trying to make your feedback more proactive, is this something that you're now doing when you're thinking about it? Of Oh, you know what? I'm not liking this beer, but I think it's because it's me and I don't like things with this note or... You know, are you trying to broaden yourself because of the the experience you've had gathering feedback? Yeah, definitely. Um, with with the bevies, also we're offering you know twelve to fourteen different kinds of beer. So you're not going to walk in and it's like surprise, we're serving twelve IPAs, and you totally hate IPAs, and you had no idea. You know, you have to be smart about it. So we make sure that there's a lager style or something lighter. There is an IPA. There is something darker, um, and it just you know you make sure that across the board there's at least two different kinds of beer that someone says these are my favorites I tried everything else but these two these are my jam this is what I'm sticking with and you need to make sure that you know it's you can you can take feedback on beer but it's really hard because we're trying to to include a bunch of new breweries that maybe that lager isn't their best offering and their best offering is something that you know Jane Q public didn't like but her friend loved so you know, again, at least we're able to say 12 different kinds of beer, we're going to give you a bunch of different styles. And try and be everything to everyone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and in that scenario, you can be. And it's one of the few scenarios where you can actually do that because it's multiple kinds of beer. Now, to the point that haters are going to hate, you're always going to get kind of crap feedback or you're going to have somebody who's bitching and moaning, but you guys have done a lot of things in order to try and make them as inclusive as possible, including very transit, Uber taxi friendly locations so that everybody can be socially responsible and getting involved in a charity that has really good feedback kind of globally. You know, they make it into McLean's and all of the charitable ratings in order to be responsible. Are these strategic choices that you're making or have they come from lessons of doing Uh it wrong? No, I think they're they're strategic. I mean, the the Canadian Women's Foundation thing was from day one. Uh, we knew that once it got big, we wanted to do it a, a charitable aspect, and we wanted to make sure that they were local, but doing global things. And Canadians Women Canadian Women's Foundation kind of encompasses a lot of stuff. It's you know education for women. They're ending sex trafficking. They're helping women find housing. Like it's it's not just one thing. Um, and they've been doing what they've been doing fantastically, and. I think, you know, we always made sure that you're able to get home and get to that bevy in a safe way. We we had a couple where the location was a little dicey. We did a deal with Uber, which meant that women could get their first Uber ride for free. Um, but otherwise, we make sure that, yeah, it's on the subway and that you're able to kind of bump into a group of people and walk with them. We're super gay friendly. And I think that's because I'm the gay member. Um <laughs> But the girls are, you know, are, I mean, there, are there t-shirts made <laughs> yeah I totally want that shirt I'm the gay member I, um, I think the, the conversation of identifies as female is probably the the first line of realizing your LGBTQI open mindedness yes. 
yeah. And, you know, it's, I, I think we'd had a couple people ask us in the past and I don't think we were really clear about it. I think people felt like, oh, it's this group of girls and they just want to make sure that it's a girly thing. And it's, yeah, well, like we finally said, okay, well then we'll, I, we'll address it. It wasn't something that we thought about because we're, you know, we're a huge mix of friends. And the second we started saying, yeah, like it's cool, you could kind of see the shift. And again, we're not asking you to identify yourself. We're not asking to like say, hey, by the way, a couple of my friends who hadn't come out before I was, you know, were there. So it's, it's funny because you don't think about it because it's not part of your life in so much as you have to think about it. You're just like, yeah, these are my friends. We hang out, like whatever. But then you realize we're hosting a group of strangers. We need to, to be open about this and say, if you identify, come on down. So in terms of what you do for Sexy Rumpus, we don't really care as long as you want to drink beer and be a cool chick. Exactly. That's it. The the worst slogan ever. But It is, but it's great. <laughs> it's so bad, it's good. <laughs> a hashtag nobody can remember how to type. Yeah. Now, in terms of marketing, you guys really aren't even trying to market this. It has had a life of its own from the very beginning. Is this just yeah. serendipity or is this the right friend network or time, place, circumstance? All of the above, I feel like, because it's, it's funny because a lot of my, my friends, like my close friends, are not huge beer drinkers and they, this is not their, their thing. But I find that when it's on Facebook and it's on social media, it's really easy for someone to just share it or retweet it or do a quick like, hey, not my deal, but this sounds really great. Maybe you guys want to go. Um, and I think our, our timing was great. Yeah, right place, right time, I think. So what about expanding? What about takeovers in Montreal and visiting bevies in Vancouver? Uh, we get a lot of requests for it. And, and I personally always say that we need to nail down Toronto. And, and figure it out and get it right because we're still getting feedback that says from a few people that we didn't get it right. And then doing this huge this huge festival is something completely different that we've never done here before. So, you know, in two years, it's still this weird, like, I don't, I feel like we're still learning a lot and it's kind of a hard thing to turn around and say, hey, Vancouver, here, you take this and, and you do the same model with it. Because once you start taking it out of the Toronto hub and the bubble it's very different because now you're you know you're to take okay so where in vancouver is it in a mainstream area is it in someone's house like how are you guys putting this on so i think it, it could be a while before that happens but you know five years down the line who knows plus i mean if you decide to live in 12 other cities you never know what you're going to take with you yeah exactly do you see yourself ever leaving the beer industry and just being a beer song I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm not getting any younger and kegs feel like they're getting heavier. So uh, we'll, we'll see. It's I, I still really enjoy what I do and I still really love dealing with the counts. And I feel like I have a few more years in me. A few more could be like 20. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, one, one day I'd like to kind of pull back from having to travel around all day long and, and talk to 30 different people to traveling around to a couple of places and talking to 60 people. So you're, yeah, there's no doubt that you're not going to be talking to people 
your extroversion yeah. just kind of glows out from <laughs> over you. Let's talk to a couple people. I don't know, maybe three or four. Now, one of your kind of sidebar passions is a little bit different in that you are a lady madly in love with tattoo. Yes, yes. I started getting tattooed 20 years ago, and I don't think I'm ever going to stop. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually getting tattooed, in, I think, in like a month to like finish up my sleeve. Big sleeve of tattoos. Uh, yeah, no, I absolutely, I'm stupid when it comes to tattoos. Why? But I will never have a beer tattoo. Now that is perplexing. Why not? I I don't have a rowing tattoo. I don't have a photography tattoo. Oh, wait, no, I lied. I have a photography tattoo. But for some reason, I am so entrenched in beer that I figure I'm just, everyone knows me for beer, so I don't need it tattooed on me. Any tattoo regrets? Uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but I have a really good tattoo artist and he covered them up, so no regrets ever. Something that I always really love to ask is what are you reading, listening to, and watching? Um, I am currently reading uh, Night of the Living Deadpool. I am watching Forensic Files. And I am listening to a mixtape of music that I had in 1995 through until 2007. And this mixtape has been recreated in a digital fashion? Yes. It's um it's got what's it got on it? It's got Roland's band, uh, some gold frap, it's got uh is it? Arctic Monkeys. Uh I'm trying to think what else it's got on it. Oh, some Bowie. But like Bowie of that that era where everyone was like, Oh, who's the old guy? So not really great Bowie, but my favorite. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it's it's a pretty eclectic mix, and I've got it in the car because I've got an older car, so I don't have um, a jack for for my phone or for my iPod. So it's just it's an old school CD. So it's been it's been on repeat the last uh, the last few days. That's okay. When you said mixtape, the first thing that came to my mind is those ninety minute gold trimmed Maxell tapes, which was my first version of a mixtape. So. Um, I've, I've actually got my oldest mixtape currently in the cassette player in my stereo in the living room. That's been, that's been a great blast from the past. So that's the other thing I've been listening to. Actual mixtapes. Going analog. I know, like seriously. <laughs> Putting a big pen in love... it, rewinding it manually. Oh god, it's great. But I love, I love technology, so it's so hilarious that I've like dug out all these cassettes. And I'm just like, yeah, cassettes, that's where it's at. You know, truthfully, they were much more durable than a lot of other things. Oh, for sure. Like, you could spill your beer on a cassette, and it still worked. Very true. Very true. I spilled my beer on my laptop last week, and that, thankfully, still works. But it was, it was a little dicey there for a while. Yeah, you got to be careful with the tech. Yeah, yeah, you do. So, looking back, anything that you would have done differently? No. I want to say yes. But I feel like if I'd done it differently, I would have I wouldn't have ended up here. I uh, I had done this a series of interviews a couple of months ago, and they said, you know, would your twenty year old self expect to see you where you are now? And I said no, because when I was in my twenties, I had a real job. I was uh, I was like leading people. I was I was in management in life insurance, and I just I think if I didn't do that, I wouldn't have drank as much as I did, and I wouldn't have fallen into beer. So, no, I don't think I would have done anything differently. That's amazing that you just consider it falling into beer. 
Yeah. Due to a stressful job you don't love. Yeah. I just, I mean, I did life insurance for 12 years and, uh, and management for like six of that. I, yeah, I don't want to go back to that, but it kind of afforded me a, a lot of things that I don't think I could have done had I done it differently. So thanks life insurance for ruining my life and making me drink. And creating this future that you have now before you full of new hops and, and grains that you don't yet even know exist. Exactly. What is in your fridge right now in terms of beer? Ooh, on tap, I have Church Key's Holy Cow, which is a chocolate milk stout. And it is fantastic. And I love it. And I harassed John Graham, who owns Church Key, to basically start brewing this beer again. And when I say harassed, I harassed this man for two days straight. And I think he finally was like, if I brew it, will you leave me alone? Um, so I have that. And then in my uh, my regular fridge, I've got some Kensington Brewing Company stuff because I work for them. And why wouldn't I drink it? Some uh, homegrown porter. And I've got fisheye, which is an IPA. And then I've got some beer from friends. So Collective Arts, Ransack the Universe, uh, Woodhouse Lager and Stout. Uh, I've got some Great Lakes, which they did uh, with Amsterdam, and it is a triple IPA, and I've probably got something else in there, too. Variety. Variety, yeah, definitely variety. So important to have variety. Oh, God, yeah, especially with beer. I mean, you got to. You got you to try stuff. And what will you be tasting next? That's a good question. I don't know. I might go back to the, the holy cow chocolate milk stout uh but there's there's so many good things out there you know there's blood brothers who, who are fairly up and coming there's reinhard folly brew pub burdock and both folly and burdock are female brewers uh yeah there's, there's a ton of stuff out there that i just i can't get enough of and i keep wanting to try what they're offering now the one thing that we didn't really touch on is the fact that the bevies are now giving a lot of these small brewers a chance to get pretty big exposure yeah. Is this something that you guys are taking pride in? Yeah, it's it's been great. Uh, friends of mine, Ryan, Black Swan, which is in Stratford, and they're, they're a really humble bunch of guys. And I it took me probably about a month and a half to convince them to let me take a keg back to Toronto. And they finally said yes, because I, I looked at them and I said, look, your beer is going to get in front of 250 women. And it's going to go to Toronto and it's going to be a hit. And this is the, you know, let me take it. But yeah, you know, McKinnon Brothers, which are, are also fantastic. They grow a lot of their own stuff. They do a, a peppermint stout that's out of this world. And we got to try it a few months early at the Bevy. And it was great because then you go to a bar two months later and they say, oh, we got this new beer. And you're like, yeah, I already tried it at the Bevy. So yeah, it's great because, you know, you know that you're helping these little guys. And though we're, we're kind of the, the, the guinea pigs of it, it's it's a fantastic thing to be testing for them. Are you sharing feedback that you're getting on the brews with the brewers? Yeah, they always they always ask, and it's really you know whatever people tell us, we'll we'll pass on, and it's always positive. I haven't heard anyone be like, "Ooh, this was not what I expected." So it's been it's been really good. What's next for you? I'm gonna go get a burger in about an hour and a half, uh, and then otherwise it's just beer, beer and photography and society work. You are amazing. Thank you so much for being with me today. My pleasure. We're sorry 
but the bar is now closed. Subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher to get updates and alerts for the newest pieces, and come see us at CriticallyDrinking.com.